Hello and welcome to the Double Your Freelancing podcast, where you'll learn how to raise your rates, get better clients, and just generally have a way better life as a freelancer or agency owner. I'm your host, Zach Swinehart, and on today's episode, I'll be speaking with Kim Svagemakers from Kimpact.nl, talking about her experience going from employee to freelancer to productized agency owner and Fun update since this interview, because it's been several months, she's now moving into like product creator as her next stage, digital product creator selling workshops and such. Um, in this episode, Kim will share her insights about immersing yourself in client pain points to inform your trajectory, choosing a niche based on past products and jobs and experiences, finding good productized service ideas, building automated lead flow, and much more. Super, super great interview. Uh, this was recorded in the private DYF Accelerator community as an expert interview. So if you want to get in on that so that you can ask live Q&A to our experts, um, you'll be able to indeed do the live Q&A. You'll also get weekly one-on-one -on -one video coaching with myself, weekly check-ins and accountability, and uh, of course, like a whole, whole text community and repository of all the past recordings. So if you want to check that out, it's at dyf.link forward slash community. So let's jump in. Here's the intro for Kim. So Kim Svagemakers uh, is a copywriter and funnel pro who has a productized consultancy called Kimpact. And uh, the things I think are really cool, so I think about productizing a lot, but I've never really thought about it the way she does it, which the way she does it is quite cool. It's like she has a done with you service where she levels up someone's staff member, which I think is quite a clever way to go about productizing because whenever <laughs> I think about productizing, I think about like, make a super basic service that is SOP driven. And I always get hung up because I'm like, ah, I don't wanna have to do that because it would make my websites kind of more templated or generic. And so what I love about Kim's approach, which the caveat that I'm sure she'd say is it does involve like a certain income cap, which her and I were talking about the other day. Um, but what I love about her approach is it allows you to do bespoke work and do really high quality stuff but uh, still give you that leverage of productization. So that's a really cool thing. She's got automated lead flow. She's got really cool funnels. She's doing all the cool stuff. Uh, so I'm really excited to interview her. Here is what I am hoping to take away personally from today. The challenge I'm seeing in the community, if I were to put it in their own words, and I validated this with Marius earlier today, is this. I'm a good web designer slash app developer slash whatever, but my projects are all over the place and I have no idea what quote niche to target because I haven't done any past projects that feel like the right niche. Or I know I'm good at helping people with XYZ technical skill, but I don't really know what quote valuable problems I wanna solve or who would be the best person to solve them for. And within that, I noticed that there are kind of two segments. There's either I, I, know, um, I know some ideas of what I might target as a service offering or who I might target as a niche, but I don't really know how to validate if that is actually worthwhile. And I don't know how to get in front of that person to validate it. And then there's another category, which is like, I don't even know how the hell I can figure out what I might target as a service offering or niche. So to me, this is kind of the pain I'm hearing. And from some of the stuff I've been hearing you guys saying, sounds like that's hopefully mostly on track, but if it's not, mention it in the Q&A. So uh, with that, Kim. Yes to let the interviewee actually talk in the interview. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about where you're at now with your business, like just your your nice current situation? Yes. Um, hi, everyone. 
Uh, yeah, so my business is called Kimpact. Um, it talks easier. And uh, I started as a freelancer. So right now I am still a part of my uh, business is still, um, well, some freelancing stuff. So I call that the Kimpact agency. Uh, but I'm, well, I, I did, I'm, I'm in the middle of a big transition to the productized, like the Kimpact product productized service business. I call it the product business. Um, so that's why I'm at. It's like half of my income is coming from productized services and half of my income is coming from uh, still a bit of freelancing work. So uh, I think it's more 60, 40, 60 productized services and 40 uh, freelancing, like all over the place. Nah, not all over the place, but yeah, that stuff. So that's why now I'm uh, helping out, like my productized service business is, uh, I guess, the most interesting right now. Uh, I'm helping out um, marketing and communication professionals and solopreneurs. Um, well, in two ways. Um, most of them are like doing something online and have no idea what, but they need more leads. So I help them getting more leads by... Um, building the right funnels and the marketing professionals building in uh, living uh, working in uh, companies i help them um with yeah more um like coaching on the job so uh having more leverage within the company and more getting more budget uh, because they have a strategy so yeah that's in in short <laughs> And something I didn't ask you when we were chatting the other day, for your your direct freelance agency, whatever you'd call it, clients, um, are they in these two niches or are they totally, totally different niches? Um, they are... No, they are in these niches, but the thing like, and we talked about it, the things I'm doing for them is um, done for you. So I'm doing their email marketing and I'm doing their uh, content, like r really writing copy uh, because I uh, want to keep my head in the game and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, keep, I, I want to keep myself up to date with the skills and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's not productized at all. So it's nagging me. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but yeah, but it is it is for the same type of of business, same type of client. Uh, it is, yeah, yeah. Cool. So the thing that I I think would be really interesting to hear about because it sounds like you've been you've been freelancing for a long time. You've been in the DYF ecosystem for a long time. You mentioned that you went to presumably it was the the Europe event in what like twenty seventeen, yes. right? And uh, when did you first? Like, I guess I'd be really interested to hear, when did you first start freelancing? What was that like? Did you transition from a job? What was, how did you first get started? Yeah, I worked at uh, uh, an internet publishing company in the Netherlands. And uh, I've been working there for about 10 years, I think. And I noticed I started coaching uh, the interns and coaching the juniors. Mm. Um, so that's one thing. I was working for a boss and it didn't feel right anymore. Um, and second, I met my, um, my Dushi, I called him Dushi, uh, his name is Niels, but we call each other Dushi. Um, and we wanted a life, uh, we wanted to travel and, um, to be like free and, and yeah. So we had to start, um, our own businesses. So that's why we started our own business. Yeah. And that was back in 2010, and, uh, I think eight, 10. Yeah. 
Okay. And I assume like most freelancers, the moment you started your own business, you immediately did get to live a life where you were super free. You got to travel. You had loads of totally. money. Totally. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Instant. Yeah. yeah. It's really, it's really cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All of you, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So, um, yeah. So what did the what did the, that transition from your job to freelancing look like? Um, well, the cool part was I met this small agency and they looked for a partner, like a freelancing partner, um, because they had a lot of clients and stuff. So I could jump in and have uh, freelancing work um, and start from there. So that was really, really, uh, yeah, really, really, really cool. Yeah, but in the end, it cool. didn't work out. Of course, like it, like it goes a lot of the times. Yeah. But yeah, so I did that. How did? Yeah, oh, I was. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, that was for about three years, I think. But the the fun part is, um, is that um, there I discovered I am I was really good at uh, teaching at coaching. Um, mm. yeah, so it, it was a r really great time for me to discover how it works, how you make proposals, how, you know, the whole, uh, the whole stuff. So yeah, it was really worthwhile. Yeah, it is cool. It's almost like the, you have, you have a ceiling that comes with that, yeah. but you also get like kind of an easier on-ramp into the freelancing world versus if you're scrounging gigs left and right on Upwork kind of thing. Yeah. How did you, um, how did you meet that agency and form that relationship? Um, yeah, that's a good one. I think I just met her in the in the network, like the online uh, community in the Netherlands back in those days was really small. So, um, like you meet people at every, you meet the same people at every event, right? And um, because it was just a few people, and um, hmm. um, yeah, so that. I really, I'm an, I'm a real, I'm a really good networker. So I talk to like everybody when I'm somewhere. So that's how I met her, and yeah, we we clicked, and it was um, uh, done deal. Yeah. And did you meet her while you were still working your day job, and it was that relationship that kind of allowed you to side hustle and quit? Yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, it was the the tip the tipping point. Yeah, so I was thinking on starting my own business and stuff. I had no idea how. So, um, and I I think a lot of people struggle with that. Like, when do I leave my job? Um, do I first leave and then start freelancing? Do I like? Yeah. There's many possibilities, of course. So yeah, I was really lucky to meet her. Yeah. But I do think that, like, in 2010 or 2008, 2010, internet wasn't that big. So there, were, there weren't, like, many people working in the internet business and having the knowledge I had back at that time. So I think I would have made it by myself, I guess. But then I had to invent everything by myself, and now we invented everything together. Uh, which was really, yeah, it, it, it was really comfortable start for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So just to dig into this a little more, because I, I do like to hear these these transition stories. Um, so it sounds like when you started doing this freelance work for this agency, I assume you were like fulfilling their clients work for them, basically, right? Yeah. Um, so the actual technicals, it sounds like you were discovering a lot of things about technicals and about running a business in the process, but the technicals that they were engaging you to perform, was it basically the same as what you were doing at your day, day job before? Um, that's a good question. Um, um, yeah, I mean, 
the the online I, I worked in online content and with online communities and online strategy so yeah uh, it it wasn't that big back then uh, so i kind of did the same thing but um the fun like i it, at the company i coached the juniors and the interns and i i was really i really enjoyed that and i was good at it so when I joined this partnership and this agency, I took all the teaching and presentation uh, uh, um, yeah, projects because I really, I really loved it. So I was just like teaching and coaching and teaching and coaching. And yeah, um, yeah. Does that answer cool. your question? <laughs> I forget questions. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's a, uh, it's a trajectory that I've heard quite a bit. There's uh, another freelancer I know, Ellie, who runs a really cool agency now. And um, he was working at a marketing agency for like a decade. And then he did some in-person networking to kind of meet some people and he found opportunities that way. And when he went out to start his own agency after having worked at this job for so long, uh, he kind of did the same kind of thing. So that's that's what I wanted to really dig into is if when you went freelance and formed this relationship doing fulfillment for this agency, if you were doing like a natural extension of what you're doing before at your job, or if you were blazing like a totally new course, because I think that there is some useful insight there for those of us who are still working yeah. day jobs. No, I think the big transition for me was not like um, uh, doing the the work, but teaching uh, my knowledge. And um, um, so with the company, I was doing the copywriting and you know doing like yeah like doing the stuff and when i started freelancing i thought like okay i know all this stuff right i work with clients uh i have heard i've we have a dutch saying i looked into their kitchen <laughs> i don't know is that english uh, like i i've seen so many companies from the inside and um mm. so and i well i had so much experience and I thought of how can I use this, all this experience and skills to teach uh, other companies uh, how to do it. So yeah, no, it's a big difference now I think of it. Yeah. So to trace that that back, because I think that is interesting because I want to dig into, because it's almost like, I don't, I don't know your business history well enough, I'm learning it now, but it sounds like you've had like, I'm guessing either three or four distinct phases here, either you were employed and then you went freelance and you were doing freelance work for this agency. And then what I'm not sure of yet until I ask you is if you switch from that phase to like scrappy, crappy freelance where you were just working with a bunch of clients and then you switch from that to this more educating approach or if um, if you didn't even do that phase three and you went straight from two to four. Um, but just to be clear, Daniel's asking, uh, what is online community strategy? And I was originally not gonna ask because I didn't think it was relevant, but I think it is relevant because perhaps the thing that called you to that is what has you so naturally leaning towards education as a part of how you you market and help and stuff. So what is online community strategy? Uh, did I say online community strategy? Yeah, cool. Uh, so um, it's kind of like uh, you ask yourself the question, how do um, like on, how does online the online content I produce and the online um, um, media I use how do they contribute to um, well reaching my goals? Um, so that's like the, the strategy part, right? If your goal is uh, lead generation, 
uh, where's your target audience, uh, which channels do I use, what platforms, uh, what do I do, what content do I use? So that's like online community strategy, online content strategy. Yeah. Um, name it. Is that, does that, yeah, it could be that you misheard it. I don't know. I'm just, you know, <laughs> babbling sometimes. <laughs> so. So let's recap. So you work in your day job and you were doing yeah. the strategic stuff. What um what other technical things were you doing there? Were you doing like copywriting, funnel stuff like that? Yeah, but yeah, I did like we did everything. We built uh, websites uh, with Dreamweaver. We uh, did the forums. We did the copywriting. It was those days, right? You just did every everything. Um. So, uh, but mainly I did uh, the the copywriting. Yeah. The co the, okay. Yeah. yeah. And then when you were doing the agency fulfillment work, what like technicals, if you give me bullet points, were you doing for them, for their clients? Well, they were all over the place. <laughs> mm. So um, um, so they were all over the place. And my partner, uh, her name was Esther, um, she wanted to do the sales part. She was really good in sales and business development. I sucked at sales. I didn't even want to talk about money with people. I was so scared to talk about money. So um, I let her do that part. Uh, and I chose to do all the teaching uh, stuff. So I did, we developed trainings. Um, like, well, we didn't develop trainings. We developed trainings when a client asked for it, right? So mm -hmm. we, we developed like tons of different trainings so we didn't productize anything we just did what the client asked so yeah crazy um but um yeah so i i i did that and i found out that i really really loved it and it gave me a chance to to really uh, dive into companies and and talk to the professionals and really help them out so i, I really loved it um and then i uh, looked for a company where I could do that, like uh, give a training full-time, full-time, like one training, because um, within the time with the agency, I found out there was one problem because social media came, came up and nobody knew what to do with it. And I kind of knew. Mm. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, um, I called this uh, training company and I said, like, look, this is like, um, companies are asking for this and I'm seeing it and I have this training, uh, can we, can we make a deal? So then I, um, yeah, they hired me to do that training. So I did that like, um, next to the partnership. So that's the next step. Um, you're going to ask. Something. I'd love to hear yeah. about it. Oh, okay. So, um, and I think because I did like that, I love training, like doing the training so much. Um, and that's well, of, why I love it so much is because you connect with uh, your audience. And I know a, a question is, how do you choose your audience? Well, they were in, in front of me. So I discovered working with this this agency that when I do trainings, I have my audience in front of me and they ask me questions. And those mm -hmm. questions, like every training, I got like the same questions over and over and over again. So it really helped me uh, finding out what my ideal audience was, what their pain points were, uh, what their problems were. And it helped me to um, 
well, develop my first training. Um, and I did that training, I think, for, I made notes, almost three, yeah, three, four years. I'm going to make a note about this because I think it's like what I'm finding kind of interesting is that the um, you being immersed in these problems as a, a consequence of doing these trainings is obviously because they're so one on one. It's a nice advantage, but it also does have parallels for like non one on one things. Like if uh, if I notice that a lot of the website design projects that I do, people come to me asking for kind of the same kinds of things or asking the same kinds of questions like I'm getting ahead of myself, but I have a feeling that where you ended up productizing is by seeing those trends of the same questions people are asking. And that is maybe where your service offering came from. I don't know. We'll find out soon. Um, but yeah, to to make sure I've got the forest through the trees. So basically step one at job. Step two, quit job doing freelance stuff that was similar. Step 2.5, <laughs> noticed that you really enjoyed the kind of more training aspects and they fueled you or that you I'd actually be interested to know this bit. So why did the training stuff call to you more than like, say, copywriting? Was it the impact it had? Was it just that it filled you up like emotionally? What 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 drew you to that over like just being a copywriter? Uh, so much like uh, the, the things you you mentioned. I really love when someone leaves the room uh, and they feel empowered to do something like better um, mm. that I think, you know, like I always say that if you only you only have to know one thing. Um, well, I told Patricia, right? You only have to know one thing better than someone else, and you could teach them something. So when I discovered that, I it really, I don't know, it's very fulfilling, <laughs> I guess. Mm. Yeah, that and um, being like, like being so connected to what's going on in the market, because I knew I had to built myself a business and um it, it was around that time i think that because yeah i don't know i started following brennan dunn now it's too early i guess no oh, no it was around that time you know and he he talked about road mapping and quit hourly billing and stuff like that and i was like yeah how <laughs> how do i do that <laughs> so um yeah i knew i had to go there so and i felt that this was the way to, yeah, really learn about my my audience and who I can help, and uh, learn about myself because, um, like doing stuff is totally like when you're good in something, you will probably be good at teaching that something to <laughs> the one who wants to do that something like you do, right? Do you get me? <laughs> I do get you. Yeah, I I know what the objection will be. I'm, I put it down to ask you. I think the objection will be like, well, that's easy for you to say, Kim, you like teaching people. But what if I'm just a developer, designer, copywriter, and I just want to do my dev thing and I, I don't think I'm a good teacher? What about that? Yeah. So, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know that that's what some people will be thinking. Yeah. No, but I totally get it. You don't have to be a teacher, but think like, um, the, the thing is, I had the advantage of being in a room with my audience, like which was going to be my uh, audience. Um, so that's a big advantage when you teach, right? But um, there's other ways to get in front of your audience. So ask your, like, if you listen to your clients, if you go online and do 
uh, Amy Hoy's like paintstorming, sales safaris, you know, stuff like that. Like if you really listen to your audience, what their problems are, and the next step is, okay, what knowledge and skills do I have to help them with these pain points? And that's your teaching stuff. Like, I mean, that's your, and you don't have to become a teacher to learn it, but then you know what, um, yeah, what, what, um, what, when you want to product, when you want to productize your uh, business or your knowledge, you first have to know what your knowledge is, uh, right. oh, oh, yeah, to help your audience. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's the way. Find the pain points. Well, that's it's the easy way. I can tell you how I did that, of course. But uh, find your ideal audience, know their pain points, then ask yourself, how can I help them? And that that's your knowledge to productize. So yeah, yeah, without being a teacher. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it's. Uh, I personally can sometimes go really hard in the direction of like journaling and thinking and making these grand plans and stuff uh and like i'm always like ooh, it would be so cool if i taught freelancers how to do xyz niche thing that no one gives a crap about yeah because once i'm immersed in this audience of freelancers it's like people want more clients people want to get paid more that's that's all they care about like it's one of those things where when you're actually immersed any theories that you might have come up with about what you think would be a good way to solve a problem or whatever they they kind of all go out the window because once you're immersed in all the pains and what people are asking for and actively looking for and actively struggling with, like it just becomes so obvious what has to be done. Um, so what I want to try to do is see what, because the thing that's always so hard about this conversation is the choosing and the intentionality, because the theme that I am hearing a little bit from you and that I've heard in general is that it's, you didn't sit back when you were working at your day job and you said, I'm going to niche down into training and start a productized business, you like just kind of, you kind of gradually course corrected and went towards what seemed to be working, went towards what problems seemed to be valuable and, and stuff like that. So again, to align my timeline for my systematic little timeline brain, um, you said that when you were starting to think about the Brennan stuff and the productizing and the road mapping, in terms of your timeline, was that when you were doing the trainings? full-time alongside the agency work or like where in the stage are we for that yeah kind of yeah i was in the middle of that yeah so i was still working with the agency and i was well aside from that i was building my own business but like going all the way and doing everything but i knew that the training stuff was what i really really liked um okay. so yeah it was around there yeah yeah and what what like um I'm trying to find what was the what was the pain for you when you were doing that training work that caused you to say like there's got to be a better way and uh, want to learn about productizing and and all of these things like what was the inflection point there okay so a few things because um being hired as a trainer by a company doesn't pay that much so i was stuck like at a certain income mm. um that for for a starter I did try to do trainings myself to organize them. I quit after three times because you have to do the lunch, the, the sick people, the, the, everything. <laughs> so yeah, so that was like a backwards plan. <laughs> no, that was no good. Um, 
but I had, uh, of course, I had like clients because I said yes to everything. Uh, clients mm. called me and they uh, asked me, can you help me with the LinkedIn page? Can you help me with uh, this? Can you? And I said yes to everything. And um, mm. so I, I, I was, well, all over the place again. And then, like, the thing is because I did stuff my clients my clients asked for, I never had results uh, that made my clients really happy. So like I never had like a, an end result because then mm. they had like a LinkedIn page or, or you know, like uh, they had like a, they had a training or and then, yeah, then what, you know, when was it, was it ended? What, what, what were we aiming for? So I, I yeah, it, I felt frustrated because and then I, I learned from Brennan, uh, there is this, he had this, he sent this email. That's a long time ago. He had an interview with someone on like a client calls. And I had the same, like, shall I, shall I give an example? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this client calls me and he said like, okay, Kim, I need a LinkedIn page. I was like, oh yeah. So in the, like a, a week before that, maybe I would have said yes. And now I was like. Okay, but why? Why do you need a LinkedIn page? So I started asking questions because I, because I read Brennan's email. So why do you want a LinkedIn page? Why? Why at this moment? Why? So I kept asking questions. And in the end, he told me, well, you know, I want to retire and sell my company within two years. Oh, okay. So <laughs> um, I can help you with that, <laughs> but let's forget about the LinkedIn page. You know, yeah. so, and, and that was, uh, and I, I remember Brennan um, sent an email with a, a like-minded interview. Um, and that was my tipping point. Like, okay, let's stop doing what my client asks. Let do, let's do something I can really help my client with. That's a totally new way of thinking. Uh, yeah. And I think they're my... And that was kind of the beginning of my productized service. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So before we dig into that, yeah. because I do want to dig into that, um, I'm kind of curious. So you said that clients were like coming to you out of the woodwork and just asking for random marketing stuff. Yeah. How were those people finding you? Did they know you from like your previous day job connections or from the training or where were they from? Yeah, um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So um, I think I used my the time I worked at the company. I used it partly to build a network. And again, in the Dutch market, the, the online community, like the community was, well, small. So there weren't a lot of people to call in the early days. Um, and yeah, I was just everywhere. I was at every network event. Uh, I tried to do gigs, to speak, to, you know, like to, to be in front of my audience. So I'm a really active networker. <laughs> so yeah, they just came to me. I didn't do anything. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. I was just kind of curious. Yeah. And I was also kind of curious when you were doing the trainings for the company. So what it sounds like you're saying you did there is that there was a big training company and they employed you to like conduct the training, but they had other staff resources who would get people their lunch and things like that. And you were like kind of a speaker or kind of a strategic training crafter plus speaker. Is that basically right? Yeah. Um, 
So was there, were there any trends with the kinds of clients who hired your company to do trainings, like in a specific niche or a specific topic or whatever? Well, topic, I guess, was probably digital marketing, but. Yeah, well, my topic was social media strategy. Um, okay. Uh, which is, uh, Daniel, how does uh, social media add to reaching my goals? Um, so, um, yeah, that was my training, but it was all um, digital marketing, online marketing, what they did. Yeah. So what were some, like, I guess if you could list, I don't know, th if you remember still, uh, three or five or something examples of the types of clients your training company had that you trained? Well, I think back then it were uh, the fast consumer brands mainly because they pick up trends and uh, first. Uh, so it were like the big brands, uh, like uh, retailers, fashion brands, um, stuff like that. Yeah, it's hard for me to remember. Um, but like H&M type of thing, Dutch H&M, yeah, whatever it would yeah, be. Yeah, it's like, yeah, fashion, okay. retail, uh, maybe uh, travel, uh, stuff like that. Like the, the, yeah, the companies, you would expect them to be the first in adapting new marketing trends. Um, and it's funny because now I kind of have the same, I still have the training social media strategy and it's all government. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, the slowest to catch up to these yes. trends. They're just like, hey, we heard about social media 2023. Uh, we'd love to really get on that ball if you could teach us. It's yeah. so boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm starting to get a flow here. So basically, you transitioned from the job into the training, and the training was doing this kind of social media teaching stuff. And then while you're doing the training, it sounds like you were leaning more into that, and that kind of became full-time-ish, maybe? Yeah. Um, and that on the side of that, you were having people asking you for random marketing stuff. Yeah. And then the random marketing stuff is where you went from... So basically, you had full job that was just straight-up job. And then you had the training, which was like kind of job, but all these things were like giving you all these random business skills. And then when you had your kind of job, you then were taking these side gigs that were like straight up freelance, but you were feeling that pain of how you didn't really feel like you were actually solving the big problem. And that's where you did the Socratic questioning. Is that basically a good recap so far? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So <laughs> it's for my own benefit, really. Uh, so at this point, you hadn't said, like when you decided to start doing the Socratic questioning thing, you did that call. You had um, like that that dude who wanted to retire, and that was like your light bulb moment. At that point, you still hadn't decided like on a specific type of person you wanted to help, or even maybe a specific type of problem you wanted to solve, right? Right. Um, okay. What problem? Yeah. Per, uh, audience? No. Okay. So, problem. What was the problem decision? <clears throat> at that point. So the problem, like everybody had. It was like, okay, there's this social media happening. Um, I have no idea what it is, what to do. We're just doing something, but what are we doing? What do we need to do? How do we measure it? That was one big pain. And the other big pain was um, people working within companies. They didn't get budget for social media. It was like a side project. Um, uh, they, you know, like they didn't get the, the proper time for it because they couldn't tell management what, um, yeah, mm. what the, the added value was of social media. So those were right. the, the, the pains. Yeah. I, um, I related to. 
And what year would you say this was? Because it sounds like it was when social media was kind of more nascent. So people listening don't just decide social media is a great thing for you to do. Yeah. Because it sounds like this is what, like 2012, something like that? Yeah, it was kind of, yeah. I, well, it was, yeah, 2011, 2012, yeah. But um, a side note, I still have companies calling me with the same questions. <laughs> yeah. Which is but cool. But what I love about what, <laughs> yeah, it is. And what I really love about what you're saying is that it sounds like what you did is you you followed your interest, sure. You followed what filled you up, sure. But you also, like the theme I'm hearing is that you kind of followed the pain. You you looked, you looked kept yourself immersed as a natural networker. I think that's a good takeaway for us. And I think the nice thing about like Amy Hoy's sales safari strategies, it gives you opportunities to immerse yourself in pain, even if you don't want to go to a bunch of networking events. Um, so I love that. That's a through line I'm seeing, immersing yourself in pain. And then the other through line I'm seeing is following that pain and just solving the pain. You didn't sit down and choose some, like from some chair in a cloud or whatever. You just kind of followed the pain, used your skills, used your experience, it sounds like. Um, so let's keep going with your story. So you you had this light bulb moment. You chose that you were going to be probably, it sounds like, helping with these pains of what is social media and people at companies not getting to prioritize. Is that right? Yep. Yep. So what happened next after you spoke with this dude who wanted <laughs> to retire soon? So, um, well, I have to tell that my douchey, uh, he is a, like, I'm more of a butterfly going all over the place. <laughs> and he's like a not sort of a, well, Nordish guy in a positive way. Um, so he, he came to me with Brendan. He came to me with Amy Hoy. He like, you know, he really is my, well, my, also my business coach. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, uh, what was your question again? So what happens then? So. Mm-hmm. Well, the f- the fun thing is, then I decided I don't say yes to new clients anymore who call me with this random question uh, and like make a proposal which which I have never made before, uh, doing an assignment which I never did before. Uh, I stopped doing that. So I really thought of what is the the fun what. What do I really like? Well, I really like doing trainings and I really like to help uh, the marketing professionals with it, working within the company, because that's what I, what I did, uh, to uh, give them leverage, to help them, you know, build a good strategy. So those were the two things I chose. And I was uh, committing to myself like, okay, no more other stuff. And the, the funny thing is that was like in the, at the end of the year, and in January, this really big company called me. It's a fashion brand, like really big with, like, it's like the universe, right? <laughs> Testing me, hey, we have this, we want a strategy and, you know, like this really fake <laughs> question with no end result. And I was like, no. <laughs> really? You did it. You passed the universe test. Yes, I passed the universe test. Wow. <laughs> I have admittedly failed some universe tests over the years. Yeah, I think we all so still failing. Yeah, that, but that was yeah. really, that was my big moment. So I was like, yeah, okay, so now I'm really doing this. And um, yeah, so, um, and then I started, like, it's not that I had a productized service 
on the go. But um, I knew this is the only thing I'm going to help. I'm going to say yes to like social media strategy. That's it's going to be it. Which was also a bad, like uh, it had some uh, negative side effect. But I, yeah, I can t- dig into that later, maybe. Cool. Or, yeah. If it's all right, I want to do a slight rewind. So mm-hmm. the thing I want to qualify here. So you decided that you're not going to say yes to random requests. Mm-hmm. And by the time you did that, you had kind of noticed these pains, the two ones about what is social media, people at companies not getting to prioritize it. You decided you wanted to solve these pains. Um, I have two questions. First up, I'm kind of curious, like, I'm curious why you decided you want to solve those pains, specifically from the angle of like, how did you decide you could afford to? Because I think that's the biggest objection here is it's like, well, it's all well and good to say that I'm going to turn away everyone who doesn't do XYZ kind of service. But like, if I'm struggling to put food on the table, I don't really have a lot of options. I got to do whatever the hell people come to me with if I don't have good lead flow. And I'm guessing that at this point, you were still just getting your random referrals from networking. You weren't doing any content marketing lead gen yet, right? Um, yes and no. So yeah, from the network, because... Um, but also from the, the the teaching because I th- those were not in company trainings but like open trainings I don't know like people from all companies come to the training um, and I I I uh, the training was about how to build a social strategy but after the training they uh, needed some help with doing like you know the implementation like the implementation and. Mm. Um, the presentation within the company and management and stuff. So they called me for that. So mm, and makes sense. Yeah, it made sense. So and that was happening over and over again, or like a few times. And then I started promoting it like uh, a bit in the training because it were not my own trainings, of course. So, <laughs> um, so that's yeah, that's that's how I started lead generation, of course, um, which I now do all the time. Um, but yeah, so, um, a lot of people came to me from the training and they all had the same question. So it was a really logical move to the productized service I'm having now. Yeah. And so when you made that decision, I'm only going to help with social media stuff. It sounds like you made that decision when you had like a pretty, you had a comfortable enough amount of lead flow that you could not starved to death as a result of saying i'm only going to do social media is that right yeah and i still had the training you know the company i did the trainings for yeah so yeah i did yeah but it um i did at the time i said no to the big big client but i needed new clients of course (laughs) so it was kind of really really scary so yeah yeah yeah, and I, I'm not I'm not saying this to call you out. The reason I'm saying it is like I just want for the people listening to kind of clarify this that that without that backing lead flow, um, it is kind of risky to to say I'm going to serve only this one kind of project if you're only if you're relying on just referrals. And in your case, like like we all get lucky breaks, and for you, like the quote lucky break here was that your kind of half job, half consulting was a lead source for you. And so what I'm going to want to try, because 
presumably the next step. I keep presuming many things about the next phases of your story, but I'm guessing that a future phase of this story is you you passed the universe test, <laughs> but then you had this moment where it's like, oh shit, I need these social media clients and I need more than I'm just naturally getting from this job. And that's where you kind of started to ramp up your marketing. Is this a good a good guess about future past Kim? Or what was that next step like? Um, yeah, sorry, I was gonna, I was thinking of um, uh, many, many different things. Um, sorry, can you repeat the question? I can again? rephrase, <laughs> yeah. So basically what I'm, where, where I'm at, if yeah. I think of this interview as like a framework and wanting to solve kind of this core problem of like, how can I, how can I for myself as a web developer or an app developer reproduce what Kim had? People are always going to make objections about things that were like Lucky Breaks because they're not reproducible. And so what I am wanting to do here is try to think of like, if the pain point that caused you to get into content marketing was that you wanted more social media clients than you were just randomly getting by referrals. And so you started doing content marketing to get them. Uh, I want to try to think, okay, is that decision something that she could have fast forwarded to earlier? Because I would think the challenge the challenge is that if you hadn't been getting that lead flow from the events, you wouldn't have known that there was like a market for this thing. Yeah. You heard the pains because you were immersed in the audience, but also because you had the customers. So I just want to try to think of like what lessons we can have. Maybe the lesson is that that part of the choosing a niche process is that you have to be immersed in a community. I was listening to a different podcast today where he was talking about how he... Uh, immerses himself in communities of potential niches that he might target as an agency. Um, so maybe that is the takeaway. Maybe the takeaway is that you can't yeah. sit on a chair in the clouds and decide on a niche and that you have to immerse yourself in pain and that you just kind of follow that. I don't know. What do you think? What do you, you think the takeaway is? You do. You have to, you have to dive into um, like your audiences and if you have like many, many different audiences, because I had, I had like marketing managers, content creators, entrepreneurs, uh, I had like so many different audiences um, and they all had like the same question, of course, like, how do I use social media? What is it going to get me? But uh, the, yeah, the teach that like my teaching is, is different, of course. But yeah, I, I think the takeaway is get out there and, and, and talk to him. And when I think of, and no, I want to say one thing like uh, earlier, because um, you talked about a lucky, uh, a lucky break or a lucky, um, I don't think that's really the case because I don't feel like really lucky here i feel i felt lucky that i met this partner from the agency but the thing what i do is i think of the worst case scenario because if i keep doing this the way i'm doing it um you know nothing will change so in order to change something i have to uh, do things different right and i always think of like what's the worst thing can happen like really the worst thing that can happen and I can always go back to the uh, the big, funny freelancing stuff because you know there's always work somewhere. I can always work and earn some money. But um, so yeah, I wanted to refer to that. <laughs> cool. And I just to clarify, I was not saying something like I attribute your success no. to luck. What I was just saying is that 
if there's somebody who's like, let's say, a web developer, and they're doing app development, they're, the exposure that they get, in air quotes, to pain in their job is like somewhat limited because you do one yeah. app project. That one project takes three months. You only see like this one client. Whereas in your case, what someone, not me, but what someone might say, ah, Kim got lucky is the fact that as a result of your job, you were like exposed to leads. Most people wouldn't necessarily be exposed to a lead stream as a con like as a side effect. And so, um, yeah. Again, I think that you've made a lot of really great decisions and you're a very savvy business person. So do not at all think I'm saying you're only here because of luck. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> but I I was just trying to think of like for that person who thinks that, again, not me, uh, <laughs> what we might tell them that they can take away as a lesson for themselves. And, and maybe the lesson is the exposure to pain and the gradual pivoting, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think there's many ways to um, uh, get exposure to pain because when you go, like when you pick one event a year where your like broad audience is going to, and the the whole uh, the whole place is filled with your audience, um, just listen to them. Like, don't listen to the speakers, but listen to the questions they ask, to the conversations they have in between. So, and, or online, you know, like, uh, I, I don't know uh, how many people did uh, Amy Hoy's uh, sales safari, but there's like Reddit, there's uh, so many Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups, forums, uh, for our forums. Uh, so, you know, like there's so many ways to, to be there where your audience is. And um, I think the thing is, there's so many pains they are discussing and having. And um, how I did it is list all those pains, like list everything I heard uh, from people from my training, uh, from questions asked in events, uh, stuff I read on, on forums, on Reddit, like I had my watering holes, of course, like everywhere where my broad audience was. I wrote them down and I, um, I don't know how you call that. What's turf? Do you not know? Not turf. Like when you, you have words and you put stripes behind it. Oh, like tally. T oh, tally, tallying. Yeah, you tally. Like them. where you go. Yeah, five. Yeah, tally. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I did that for like a really uh, intense long time. I I think maybe for months because I had an idea uh, what I could help my audience with. But uh, in the end, um, the tallying <laughs> told me what the real pains are. So you have a whole list of pains. And then the next step is, okay, what knowledge and skills do I have uh, to help them? Like, with, with, with which pain can I solve for them? Hmm. Uh, and I think that's Makes like, yeah. yeah. So it's not only the pains. It's the pains that you can connect to and solve. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So again, sorry to put you on the spot, but I got to ask, let's say someone's listening. They're like, that's great. Yeah. I love the idea of doing that, but I don't know who my audience is. I don't know who I should go listen to the pains of. Do you have any thoughts on like how you could make a choice about that? Um, yeah, like uh, if you, um, well, it depends what a person is, because if you had like a few clients in the past or you worked at the company in the past, like we did it uh, yesterday uh, in the evening, like we, we practiced choose some um, uh, 
companies or professionals you work with and just list all of them, even if it was from a, from your corporate work or whatever. So that's how I started out, like really before that. Um, okay, who did I work with? What did I like? You know, and who was, what was his role within the company? Uh, why did I like it? Um, why did I not like it? So it's a start. And if you have only 10, then 10 is a start, I guess. Um, yeah. And then the next step would be um, go online um, and and look for places where those persons go to 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 discuss, you know, their pains and, and topics. And that's 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 really tough. It takes time. Like Amy Hoy says, uh, if you can't find your audience online, it doesn't mean they're not there, but it means you didn't look hard enough. Right. <laughs> so yeah. they're there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that could be a start. I mean, what you are doing right now is, a is, is really cool. Like interviewing people, uh, having coffee with people. I, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, I do love, I love the, the framework, the hypothetical framework, uh, that you're presenting because it's, it's a load off, you know, like, I think that it feels like a really big burden to pick a niche and the idea that I could draw from the past and make pivots, it it's it feels more manageable. I think that the big objection that people would have is like, and that I can relate to from different stages, it's like, okay, well, what if I just straight up don't like the past? Like, what if I've worked with clients and I'm not liked any of them? Yeah. Um, and I think that's where it, where it is hardest. And I do personally believe, and we're not, we're not gonna have time. <laughs> I wanted to dig into this today. We're already an hour. But I do personally believe when I'm thinking about your niches and ones I've served that within every niche is like a big profit opportunity and an income ceiling. At one point, I did websites for a lot of podcasters and it was a really, really great profitable niche. But it came with a ceiling. I was doing websites for a lot of new podcasts. And if someone is just starting a podcast, like they're not going to pay $15,000 for a website. They're just it would be stupid. I, I frankly couldn't even recommend to a new podcaster to do that because it would be stupid. As a fiduciary, I can't recommend that. So my market ceiling for that, for new podcasts ended up being, I don't know, I think it was like a few thousand bucks. A few thousand bucks for a website I knock out in a day or two, easy money, but it came with a ceiling. Uh, you're done with you service, very profitable for you, very good effective hourly rate, but it is having a ceiling. You're becoming the bottleneck. And so I kind of... I have this belief that I would welcome y'all to challenge me on in the Q&A that maybe any type of past client, even the ones that sucked, could be a viable niche um, because others within that industry will not suck. I don't think there's any industry that like universally sucks, except maybe healthcare. From talking to some of y'all who work with healthcare people. I think that might just objectively suck, but other than maybe healthcare. Um, so, so yeah, I really like what you're saying and, and I won't harp on this because you've got a lot of other cool stuff to share, but I just wanted to see, see what your thoughts were. Um, do you have any other like parting thoughts on this? Like you think just go through your past clients, pick the ones you hated the least go from there. Uh, yeah, well, in reaction to your story, I would say you stopped, um, 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 asking their, like, looking for their pains because, like, um, true. the podcasters had first had a pain, I need a website, well, or so, some pain like that, 
but you know um how do i grow a podcast that's yeah, the pain so, i should have dug into next yeah, yeah so i don't agree there's a ceiling to uh, a niche audience i don't agree yeah. because you know like there's always new pains and and you evolve so you have new yeah. skills to help them it so you grow together so uh yeah I, 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 yeah that's a good point it's a very good point thank you for challenging me on this i guess it is maybe the better way to phrase it is there's a ceiling to how you can serve an audience in a specific type of way without like yeah leveling yourself up to better serve their pains never stop like pain story great framework <laughs> yeah yeah okay. so here you were 2012 or whatever you passed your universe test you okay. said you wanted to just work with social media yeah uh, and you needed clients. What'd you do next? Um, so um, what I did is um, then I built my productized service or designed it uh, because I didn't want clients. I didn't want clients anymore that just asked the question and I, you know, I just thought of a solution which they asked for because by then I knew this is the way they have they build a social strategy from like this is the way period so mm. um that's and that's how i well i evolved of course but that's how i'm doing it uh, right now uh, again also um so that's what i did first and um yeah i uh quit the training with the company i um i worked with so I looked for, then I started looking for a platform where my audience, like a huge chunk of my audience uh, was hanging around. And uh, yeah, it's it's Frank watching. I don't think anyone knows it, but it's one of the biggest marketing communication websites. They, you know, they blog, uh, they do trainings, events, stuff like that. So there's thousands and thousands of uh, my well, my audience <laughs> who uh, who joined them. So I thought, let's, you know, do my trainings for them. So, um, yeah, um, so I did. So then I, because I knew my trainings were good lead, lead gen. Um, so if I do a training every mm. month and I have like uh, 20 people in my training, I have 20 leads a month from the trainings, right? And I had like two different trainings. So that worked well they had events so um the the thing is like um and i still do that i look for um platforms or uh places where my audience is hanging around like podcasts events uh online like websites blogs um stuff like that and i am thinking of something how i can add value to their audience without being a competition. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's a that's a, a gem emoji right there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's and I still do that. I have uh, two or three gigs like every year, and I'm a guest in two or three podcasts uh, every year. I still do my trainings, uh, which give me a lot of leads. Um, well, not they, not automatically, but I think we come to that too. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do LinkedIn. Um, the fun part is I hate social media personally, like really. Um, but um, 
for my, you know, doing as a professional, LinkedIn is a really cool place. So I, I get a lot of leads from LinkedIn because I have a LinkedIn strategy. And because I know Diani has been trying to do some LinkedIn marketing. So just to hook her up, what's the like, because I, I want to go back to this Frank watching thing, but what's the like five minute TLDR of your LinkedIn strategy? Okay, so I share knowledge. I give away all my knowledge I have. I chop it into small knowledge chunks. So I continuously create content and publish content to teach my audience. Um, and everybody who is engaging with my content, I look them up in direct mail and I have uh, standardized um, LinkedIn replies. So I have like three to five. I can share them with you if you want to. I even have them in English. Uh, then I have like five different meals. First, like, hey, thanks. How can I help? But, you know, like what was interesting? Then uh, what is your challenge? Then, uh, oh, I have a blog or a podcast or I want them on my list. So everybody yeah. who's engaging with my content is going to my list. With cool. I love that follow-up strategy. And yeah. you're posting these as like, I, I don't use LinkedIn. I don't know anything about it. Are they LinkedIn posts? Posts. Yeah. 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 That's a and thing. I, yeah. That's, cool. that's, a, that's a thing. Yeah. So it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, yeah, I love that. I'll, I'll hit you up for those and we can put it in the, the recording or something. Yeah. Maybe if I can sign you up for, what is this? A fourth time to come on. We can talk about LinkedIn sometime. Um, <laughs> you can so, download uh, the reply. So you'll be on my list and you see how my lead funnel works. Cool. So to rewind a little bit, you um, had decided to specialize in social media and then Dutch H&M reached out and they were like, yo, do a training. You said, no, I'm only doing LinkedIn or sorry, I'm only doing social media. And then you needed those clients. So your first step was you created a productized service. Second step was you went to Frank watching to do it like a JV almost kind of thing. Or did you do some lead gen before then? Like, was it the LinkedIn before then to get some leads? Then you went for this big moonshot or what was that like? Uh, like everything, not, not that, it, not that it was a lot because Frank watching it had to start up, but yeah, I did that. Uh, I dove into, I got into my network. Like, um, I told, uh, I don't know, in an earlier accelerator session, um, like my clients, I, in the, from the past, I called them and I was like, okay, do you, you know, I helped you with this and this, do you know one person? Uh, can you connect me with them who I can help out with social media strategy? Um, so I got some leads from there. Um, I got leads from my training and uh, just, you know, reaching out to my network. Yeah. Cool. Um, I didn't have a website until three years ago, I think. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so these leads were just like emailing you? Yeah. Emailing, wow. calling. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Call, like with a phone? Wow. Yes, with a wow. phone. Yeah, like you talk like, yeah, no silence. Yeah. Weird. Mm. I have not done that in a while. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> what I would think, so if I were to go out and try to reproduce this, I would think that the risk is that if I, I would be hesitant to approach like, so it sounds like Frank watching is like the Dutch conversion Excel. Like they're a big, big deal. But maybe when you first were starting, they weren't a big deal and they were a scrappy startup. Um, but I would be worried approaching too big of a win too early because then if I if I fail then I that opportunity is like gone is how I would feel. Um, what do you think characterized the like stage oh, the stage of this partnership 
and like how you approach them in a value forward way uh, if someone was wanting to reproduce this in their niche or whatever? Um, yeah, I just, you know, I really dove into the platform, like what were they doing? And I, it was easy for me to find out that they weren't doing what I was doing. So, um, mm. um, yeah, I, you know, the, the thing is I'm publishing content. Like, you know, if you want something to happen, you have to create content. Um, mm. so I could refer to all the stuff I was publishing and, uh, the stuff I did before. And, um, so I just, yeah, had a meeting, um, cool. with someone, you know, the thing is when I have something in my mind, I have a plan a, I don't, I never have plan B's or I've just plan a in a worst case scenario. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no in between. Okay. And so you were publishing only cause you didn't have a website. So I guess your published content would have mostly been LinkedIn at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And that was authoritative enough. Cool. And so basically it sounds like you went to Frank Watching and they're like a digital marketing communications education platform, but they didn't, you noticed that they weren't really teaching about social media and you essentially said, yo, I can teach that. Yeah. Or yeah. what did that look like? I okay. can teach you... that. No, yeah, but I, I, I showed them because I uh, thought it before, right? So I showed them these are the page people having. I mm. did the, the painstorming. So I had like data from Reddit, from, you know, like the forums where I found them and the, the questions they asked me. So I really had proof. Um, and um, yeah, well, and they happened to uh, be very enthusiastic. <laughs> <laughs> and did you offer to do these trainings like for free? No. Looking at it as lead gen? Okay. No, 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 of course not. No, because um, I'm not allowed to do lead generation. Yeah. Yeah. It's but like I, a cheeky kind of, yeah. But I do it, of course. Like I did like just now with the LinkedIn replies, you know, I just mentioned stuff and like, yeah, oh, yeah. People but, reach you know, out if you and want, they want them, to follow yeah, you. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. So, if I were trying to do this, like, like basically, how did you make how did you make the deal so juicy and irresistible to them? Was it just that they saw the opportunity because you could teach about something that they weren't teaching about, or did you like position the pricing in a clever way, or how did you how did you package that up? No, they have like a standard pricing because they work with a lot of trainers and teachers, and this one was missing. And I, I could like show them that it was a real like a real pain, and um, they needed it, and they agreed. So it, it wasn't really a tough conversation, but, um, <laughs> cool. yeah, but sometimes it is tough. Like, uh, what I said, like, I want to have two or three gigs, uh, every year. Um, well, I need to deserve that stage. And I see a question from someone like, what about the competition? Yeah. There's a lot of competition, you know, like, uh, um, so I, every time I have to come up with uh, a unique selling point not really but a unique solution so i have to keep instorming it's yeah it's your story with the podcast website you know if you stop growing and stop telling the same story um yeah then nothing will happen of course yeah yeah hit the ceiling yeah <laughs> so i'm about to create a poll for you guys of whether you want me to keep the interview going because i want to keep diving into this marketing thing i think this is really juicy but if you guys want Q&A, like we're coming up to the stop. So I'm going to put in a poll. Um, but while I put in that poll, and I'll let Kim get a drink of water. But um, 
So I'm just thinking about like, let's say a developer wanted to reproduce this strategy. They might say, like, I know Marius does like, is it event storming or I can never really remember what it's called, but he might go to some sort of like startup business education website where it's like people who want to start a startup go there to learn about things. And he might say, oh, these guys don't teach event storming. So I can let them know I will happily teach event storming. Maybe that's reproduction. So like when you did this, did you, um, it sounds like you, you just saw, Hey, there's somewhere where I can help. Were you intentional in advance? Like you were saying, are the people on this mark? I don't remember what it's called any, anymore, but the Dutch, the Dutch conversion. Excel. Frank watching. Um, yeah. Frank watching. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you in advance, like try to identify are the people who are customers of Frank watching good leads for me? Or did you just say I can help? I'm going to help. No, what did that no, look like? no. I started with the, the, the audience, uh, they reach out to, they reach out to, I always start there. So I look for events, platforms, podcasts who are reaching out to my audience. That's the first thing. Yeah. Cool. So that came as a result of deciding who you were generally going to serve. Yeah. Which was at that point, um, people who marketing communication professionals who work within companies and don't get the budget for social media. Yeah. Cool. And everybody has voted that I stick to, well, everybody so far has voted that I stick to interviews. So okay. <laughs> we'll just keep going and try to make the most of the last 15 minutes. So I would like to keep getting through your story to the present day, but I'm just going to root us in the core goal. So basically what we're trying to solve here for today's interview is that the person who is good at their job, but they feel like they're having trouble finding out how to get in front of or choose who their ideal customer is. So that's one thing. I think we've got some good threads on that. And then the things that were like promised about what this thing was even going to be about uh, were productizing your services. We haven't talked a lot about that yet. Building funnels and autopilot lead gen niching. So uh, I think we can consider the niching case closed for now. With regards to productizing and automated lead gen, I think those would be the good ones to talk about. And that's kind of the stage of the story that we're at anyway. Um, so at this point, you had approached Frank Watcher <laughs> and um, and you had approached them because you saw that your target customer was learning from them. And you were like, ah, I'd like to just help my target customer build a good relationship, that kind of thing. Um, and you had by then packaged up a productized service, right? Yeah. Or it was like kind of the same time. So what was that initial productized service that you created? Um, so, uh, helping out with a social media strategy. So the productized service is, um, the, what the pain is, I have no idea what we're doing and I don't get the budget from my manager to do it properly. Um, so the, the service is like the whole service, like we start with an intake call, then, uh, I teach you how to build a strategy. Um, you are, well, the marketing professional is writing the whole plan because I told them how to, they get the template, uh, to do it. And then I give feedback on the whole plan. I go through the whole plan. I can do it wherever I want. This is all remote, of course. So it's just one intake, uh, from, for, of one hour and one, um, training of like two hours. And then they do the magic plan writing thingy. And I do the feedback stuff, like go to the whole plan 
delivery back and we have one finishing touch call of one hour. So yeah, it's like, and it's very standardized and it's, there's like a beginning and an end. And the end mm. is I have a plan and I can present it to my manager uh, to have more budgets. So yeah, and that really, really works. So that's the prototype circus, like one. Yeah. And then that one eventually led into the one that you and I were talking about the other day, the like done with you ongoing. Is that right? Yeah, because after that, that's what I talked about with the, the keep painstorming, because um, the people who, who the, you know, uh, got the budget and have the plan, they needed to guidance with implementing the plan. So now uh, that I can like uh, have like support, we talked about it, like it's a one-on-one -on -one coaching for three to six months. And uh, Zach told me to build a community, which is a very <laughs> good idea. <laughs> so it's going to be the next step. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So that's the done with you. Uh, well, it's, this is also, yeah, it's all done with you, but it's never different. This is it. I have a sales page and uh, this is it. This is what you get. Um, yeah. And it works because uh, the, the, the fun part is when people call me, if I can help them with their social media strategy, uh, I just, you know, I listen to them for five minutes and I, I have this great idea. What if, <laughs> and then, what if yeah. we do my road mapping product? Cause that's essentially what it is. It sounds like you're that first product that you sell, the, the initial product I service is almost like road mapping. Um, but kind of not, but it's definitely like a packaged up thing that effectively results in them wanting to hire you for the ongoing service. Yeah. 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 And yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, road mapping is, um, yeah, I use it kind of different, different because this is a real, like, uh, it's something, it takes time. So this is like a real project because the thing after hmm, is not my big uh, income. It's the social strategy, it's a fixed price, and I can do like eight, maybe a month uh, simultaneously because it doesn't mm -hmm. cost me that much time. So, yeah. And so in terms of your lead flow, because I something I've always found interesting is like when people don't have enough traffic yet to their websites, they want to do like 50 traffic strategies. But then what ends up happening is you find the one that works and you just kind of do it. And it sounds like maybe for you, you have some traffic coming in for, or leads coming in from your LinkedIn publishing and that the rest of them are from these like educational training partnerships with Frank Watching and others. Is that how, how does your lead, your incoming lead flow like what's it look yeah. like? How's it break down? So, um, for I, right now I have like, uh, I think three productized services. So let's stick to this one. I created a lead magnet, like a freebie for this, uh, productized service, which is called the do it yourself social media plan, because people are looking, you know, like how to do a social media strategy and they run into this and they're like, oh, I want to have that. That's a solution, which is not, of course, but yeah. So they download it, get on my list. There's a funnel like email, uh, I mail them. Um, but so that's the funnel to my productized service. But the lead magnet, I can drop it everywhere, like in every conversation, in the trainings I do on LinkedIn, like um, the whole social media training, I divided it in um, uh, by head, I think 50 knowledge, um, snacks, I call them snacks. Like I can create 50 
posts, LinkedIn posts from one training, right? Because there's so much in it. And I just publish it on LinkedIn and then I do the the, the steps uh, after it. Like people engage with my post and I know these are the people who are having, you know, struggling with the social media. Um, and then I look them up on DM, have my uh, LinkedIn uh, reply, like standards uh, conversation. And uh, I lead them like, hey, you know, I have this do-it-yourself uh, template. Maybe it's a good idea to download it and then they get on my list. And Yeah. So, cool. yeah, I drop it everywhere. Um, but I think LinkedIn is the, the biggest uh, lead gen for me. Ah, cool. Yeah. And uh, in terms of your flow from the people who come to one of your courses within Frank watching, uh, <laughs> how do you drop it in in a way that isn't like, you know, douchey or breaching your contract or overly self-promoting? Like I did here, um, you know. So you say, like, I have this thing if you want more. Yeah. And the, and the whole point is because I listened so carefully to the questions that people ask, I literally write them down. So because I really know what the pains are from my from my audience, uh, I can create the perfect lead magnet to help them, mm. like the freebies help them out with the first small step, right? So I know the question will come in the training. I know the question will come in my DM or in, you know, wherever I am, podcasts at events. Uh, and then I say, oh, okay, well, Maybe, you know, grab the, <laughs> uh, grab but the I'm thingy. on stage. Yeah. I have yeah. the QR code, like, ah, oh, good question. <laughs> grab the do-it-yourself template. So yeah. Because and in I, your courses, yeah. oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. I was just repeating myself. Yeah. Uh, so in the courses, do you actually say the link URL or do you say like, reach out to me if you want this thing? Yeah. Just, I say, you know, just reach out to me in LinkedIn, you know, send me a message and on LinkedIn. And, uh, okay. So you don't actually yeah. give them the URL because of how that might be douchey. Yeah, that might be douchey. Okay. Douchey. Okay, cool. Wow, douchey. Okay, douchey. Yeah, well, that's when you were saying douchey. I was like, well, I, I have a different association with the word douchey, but yeah, you, you use do. it fondly. I use it. Okay. Yeah, douchey. let's not dive into that. Yeah, I'll I shouldn't have even said douchey. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> maybe breach of contract, not cool, is what we mean. So just because we've got a couple more minutes, um, just to, I, I just want to be really clear on your flow. So basically, top of funnel is that there are people who are wanting to learn about social media strategy. You are either doing LinkedIn posts about social media strategy, or you are teaching courses with Frank watching about social media strategy. Is that correct so far? Yep. Cool. And then both of these things, you are promoting like your little freebie in a non something other than douchey way um, to basically get a tool that's going to help them with their social media strategy, AKA the thing you're talking about. And then you have a funnel that because you identified the need that there are people who are working in digital marketing but need a budget to do it and need to like sell their boss on it. This is what I need a little clarification on. You sell the product that helps them sell their boss on it or you like help them sell their boss on it for free and then that buys the product. How does that look? Uh, no, no, no. It's, um, it's a pain of my audience that um, they want to do social media better. They don't know how, but they don't get the budget for social media uh, within the company. So the solution is always a good social media strategy, like a, a proper plan, which is my productized service. 
Um, and so are they getting their boss to buy that? Or are they buying it? The person ask, who's like the employee? Uh, sorry. Okay. No, the boss has to pay for it. Yeah. Okay. And so do and, you have something in help? In, oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what Brennan uh, taught me at the conference because I was struggling with it. I'm talking to the audience who doesn't pay for my productized service. So I have uh, this uh, email. Uh, I made this email for their boss. Like, okay, cool. Dear boss, this is why I should do this. Yeah. Cool. Gosh, yeah. well, it's becoming very clear. This should have been like at least a five-hour interview today for all the things I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> I appreciate you being patient with me putting you on the spot. Um, before we go, assuming you have a hard stop, but let's call it a hard stop because otherwise it'll just go in forever and I want to be respectful of your very generous time. So are there any parting words you want to share about this this process, at least to hold people over for now that we've talked about today? Sorry, do I want to share what? Do you have any, like, I don't know, just parting words, closing words about... Ah, okay, closing words. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. No. Um, yeah, so, um, um, yeah, I think so. Um, don't think of the too much of the solution you're offering, but think of the knowledge and the skills you gathered along the way, um, how you can help your audience with their pain points and that knowledge that is that's where the magic happens because that's where your productized services are built from not like the solutions awesome i love that it does and if i wanted to download your linkedin thingy where would i go to do that it's like the url do you have a url uh, yeah, but I don't have it. Like, uh, I wasn't expecting this question today. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I would okay. have the QR code here. Like, All yeah. Right. Well, so if I'll I wanted to, it, like, follow yeah. you online and, like, learn from you, where would I do that? LinkedIn, Kim Swagemakers. <laughs> yeah, that should be. I'll just go ahead and spell that right now. That sounds good. What's your website URL? How about this one? Uh, Kimpact, but everything's in Dutch. Yeah, well, that's the thing. But does it have a link to your LinkedIn? Uh, yeah. Okay, so if you want to download Kim's thing, what you do is you go to kimpack.nl, scroll to the bottom, look for a LinkedIn link, go to her LinkedIn, look for her free <laughs> things, and then there should be a link from those to the thing you can download. I'll drop Hashtag it in the digital in the marketing. Oh, that's a good point. Gosh, I guess someone would have Thank to come you. into the community, though, to get that. Which, by the way, guys, it strikes me. If someone's listening and they're like, oh, man, I'd really love to go to the community because that seems actually easier than looking up Kim's LinkedIn. And like, should I do that? Do the people on this call recommend it? What would you tell them? <laughs> All right, there we go. We got a few. That That's some social proof. Um, does anybody have one minute's worth of questions for Kim before we end the interview? There are oh, here's one. Questions. I'll ask you one, Kim. Uh, for okay. those LinkedIn ones, is it in the form of simple posts or articles? That's an easy one. No, simple posts because articles don't don't work that much anymore. So simple posts, yeah. Cool. And uh, it does sound like you are indeed active on social media and you get loads of clients via LinkedIn. So yeah, thanks so much uh, for the chat today. Thanks for coming here, guys. And to be continued in about eight more hours of interviews provided I get Kim's permission. Yes. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> what a great episode, eh? If you want to get all of the links and whatnot from this episode, uh, as well as the like highlights and summary and things like that, you can go to dyf.link 
forward slash episode 91. That's the word episode and then the number 91. Thanks. See you in the next one.